Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 194 called Keegan. Hello, everybody. This is Allie and Blair, the co-founders of Fertility Rally. And we are here to tell you a little bit about who we are, what we do, and how we can support you on your infertility journey. So we wanted to let you know that Fertility Rally is the membership group that we created. It's the place we wish we had when we were in the thick of it. We offer support groups. We have private Facebook groups. We have tons of events, lots of videos, blog posts, so much content. We're starting to do IRL events as well. And we want to be there for you no matter where you are on your journey. Yeah, our favorite part, we had no idea where this would go when we started it. And our favorite part about it is watching all of our members, which is like 300 plus at this point, connect and create true lifelong friendships. We have members that are meeting up in real life. We have members that are supporting each other on Instagram. We have members that call each other best friends now. And honestly, like that is the most rewarding thing to see. We had no idea it would go here. And so we're just... We're inviting you to join the Rally Fam. Yeah, it's such a great space. It's a safe space. We also have fun when we can. So we would love for you to be a part of it. Check us out on fertilityrally.com and on Instagram at fertilityrally. Hope to see you guys soon. Today's episode is presented by Belly. Belly offers modern prenatal vitamins optimized for fertility, prenatal, and post-pregnancy health. To learn more about how to optimize your fertility and pregnancy health, check out their vegan-friendly, dairy-free, non-GMO vitamins for both men and women at bellybaby.com. That's spelled B-E-L-I-B-A-B-Y.com. The best part, if you use code ALLY15, you'll get 15% off your first month of either Belly Women or Belly Men. Again, that's code ALLY15, A-L-I-1-5 for 15% off. Thanks, Belly. All right, everybody. So today I am talking to Keegan Prue, whose book, The IVF Dad, chronicles he and his wife's struggles with infertility and all of the things. He also recently spoke at our Fertility Rally live event, which was incredible. So I don't want to give you the details. I'd rather just have him tell it to you guys in his own words, but it's a great story. And spoiler alert, because this comes out in the very beginning of the episode, but he does have two daughters now, but it was not without a lots of twists and turns and heartache. So without further ado, this is Keegan's infertility story. Keegan, it's so good to talk to you. How are you doing? Oh, great. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. This is a, this definitely feels like a full circle moment. I've spent many days driving to work listening to Infertile AF. So pretty you cool. Have? Oh my gosh. You're probably so <laughs> sick of my voice, but it's going to be trippy to hear your own story, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So thank you for writing in. You sent me an email a while ago, you know, talking about what you've been through with your family and your wife. So Let's just start at the beginning. We're also going to talk about your book, which is called The IVF Dad, but we'll get to that in a little while. So let's start with what I always start with, which is, did you always want to be a parent? 
I did. You know, I've, I've been surrounded by kids through a lot of my life. My mother was, uh, runs an in-home daycare. Uh, and so from the time I was five, um, you know, in addition to my little sister, there were just like kids were always around. Uh, I'd come home from school and there would be, you know, a couple of kids running around. And then in my professional life, I'm in education. So I, I worked um, as a teacher, an elementary school teacher um, and in elementary schools for seven or eight years. Um, and through all of that, uh, I think that definitely made me just really excited to, to be a parent and to have kids. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I get some good teacher vibes from you. You would be like the cool teacher, but not trying too hard. Like you seem very chill. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not too intense about it. Right. Like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta chill where you can because exactly. life's serious enough. So. What do you teach? <laughs> um, when I was a teacher, I'm, I'm no longer teaching, here? but taught um, elementary school. Uh, uh-huh. My favorite place to spend time was uh, in the kindergarten rooms oh. because there's just, you, there's just like cuteness off the charts. Our school had a whole room just full of blocks. And if it was a stressful day, you could find me uh, hanging out with the kindergartners building block towers for wow. hours. That on takes end, so. a very special, particular personality to be able to do that. Because when I go in, when I went into my kids' kindergarten classrooms, I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And, and, you know, there were, there were wild times. That kind of work. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, once upon a time I was got the unfortunate, uh, honor of being the one who had to train the kindergarten boys on how to use the bathroom. That is the day I would like to forget, but uh, okay. still, still came back to, to try to be a parent after all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So tell me how you met your wife. We met online, as is, you know, the, the modern world we live in. We were mm-hmm. um, in New York City at the time. Um, Olivia, my wife, is originally from Seattle. I'm originally from the far, far reaches of upstate New York. And so, yeah, the magic of the Internet brought us together in New York City after uh, all the craziness of dating in New York City. And, and we, you know, just really connected instantly. We were, you know, in our early 30s at the time, definitely just at that point of being like, we're, we're ready for... A relationship for commitment for for you know a, a long term a long term thing and so uh, we we connected right away you know and, and talked very quickly about our our plans for the future including kids you know I remember mm-hmm. being on our third date we went up to the botanical garden in the Bronx and we were riding the four train uh, back into uh, back into the city to go to my apartment and Olivia just asked me you know what do you what do you think about kids and there was there was just no hesitation I was like yeah absolutely want to have mm-hmm. kids definitely hope to have two or three kids. And so we were, we were very open about that from the beginning. Okay. So what happened when you guys started to try? And then we hit the wall, right? <laughs> so, so, you know, right. There's always a, but. Um, yeah. And, and, um, you know, moved out of the city, you know, that was part of our long-term plan, moved upstate, um, to, to get the house and the dog and the kids and, and got the house, got the dog and, and totally, uh, hit the brick wall when it came to having kids. So we started to, try to conceive uh, in summer of 2017, which is when we were moving upstate. We sort of felt in a spot where we were ready to, you know, if we got pregnant tomorrow, it'd be great. Mm-hmm. So um, we, you know, went through the next six months and nothing had happened. We had, you know, a couple couple times, you know, one time in particular where Olivia's period was a couple days late. So we, we were all excited. We went to, you know, rushed off to the pharmacy, bought the pregnancy test, uh, and it was negative. Um, and so, you know, at that point, it had only been a few months. We chalked it up to, well, you know, it'll happen soon. But, you know, fast forward to six months, seven months after we started trying, and um, nothing had happened yet. 
And, and I think we were both kind of feeling like something might be going on here. And I remember this very cold day in upstate New York in January when we uh, went out for a walk and just kind of talked, you know, talked about what was going on. How are we feeling about um, things? You know, this is, this is not happening uh, mm-hmm. as quickly as we thought it would. Um, and we knew what our goals were. We knew we wanted to have two or three kids. We knew we were in our early 30s and that the, the clock was starting to work against us uh, right. a little bit. And so it was that point at which we kind of first had that conversation in which we both like acknowledged, you know, this is, this is not going as quickly as we thought, what do we need to do? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of when we, we got proactive um, and started to get things lined up um, in terms of just getting ourselves checked out. So you know, yeah. What did that look like for you guys? Did you, was it easy to find an RE or a clinic or like, how did you, did you have friends who were going through it that you were able to ask or like, how did you even get the ball rolling with, with taking those next steps? Yeah, you know, it was a, it was a little bit it was it was a little difficult at first because we were were definitely in that phase where we weren't totally comfortable talking with other people about it yet, and also didn't know like how how much of a problem are we looking at, and so mm-hmm. we just started kind of at the the basic level. You know, went to um, Olivia scheduled an appointment with her regular OB um, and kind of said, "Here's where we're at. What do we need to do?" So they did some you know testing on both of us, sent me to um, uh, our fertility clinic that we actually ended up using to do my semen analysis, did all the hormone tests on on Olivia and, and other things, and and unfortunately kind of came back to us with like, "We don't see any reason why this shouldn't be working. Everything mm. looks pretty normal to us." And so mm-hmm. you know got got that really hard conversation that so many know about, which is like, "There's no." there's no clear reason why things aren't working. So yeah, that is a hard pill to swallow when they're like, well, it's unexplained infertility or, you know, everything looks good. So just keep going, you know, like it's it's so much easier sometimes when you have a diagnosis because you have something you can focus on and something, a plan of attack. It is. And we, we did learn more over time. Um, So Olivia's OB said, let's try three rounds of letrozole, um, Mm -hmm. timed intercourse. And let's just see if that helps. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, that will just kind of be the, the kick that you need, so to speak. And that didn't work. Uh, went through three months, you know, no, nothing happened each time. So that, that was a big letdown. But simultaneous to that, we we kind of, I don't know if it was just, you know, intuition, whatever you call it, or just kind of knowing like it might take a while to get in with the fertility clinic. But we had made an initial consult appointment with uh, the fertility clinic that's here in the area and landed on that basically as those three rounds of letrozole we're coming to an end. And so it was good timing, but but what we sort of learned there uh, once we got in there and, and they did some additional testing um, on Olivia and they found out was that her AMH level was actually low for her age, which was mm-hmm. not something that the that the regular OBGYN had picked up on. Okay. So that was definitely uh, a, a frustrating moment um, mm-hmm. where it was like, you know, we, we thought everything was fine, but just, you know, it was sort of a lesson to us to to be proactive and to also how important it is to get the the advice of somebody who's really, uh, you know, an RE who's in the field and knows all the ins and outs. Right. Because um, sometimes people can miss things or they don't know what to look for. And, you know, the medical teams are oftentimes really awesome, but sometimes you have to go in with your own questions or your own, you know, can we look at this X, Y, and Z advocating for yourself? We're always talking about that on the show and infertility yeah. rally. Absolutely. Um, and so that that sort of set us uh, very quickly down a path to IVF. You know, the, the RE was, we, we love our doctor. She's been, you know, like our IVF Sherpa through this entire thing. And mm-hmm. we like that she was very, um, always very upfront um, and always very clear and direct about what she was recommending. And so 
her kind of read of, of Olivia's AMH levels and our situation and our, our family building goals, you know, she essentially said, I would recommend starting IVF and, and that's going to give you the best shot at success. So that's where we were at, right? Yeah. It was sort of a, at that point, a little over a year after we'd started trying. And so not what we expected at all, but we, we you know, Olivia and I kind of just looked at each other and we're like, okay, we got to do this. Whatever. Did you know anybody else who was going through it? Uh, not that we knew of at the time. Um, we, we definitely found more over time. We found mm-hmm. our tribe, um, but yeah. that took some time. But no, at that time, we definitely didn't. And so that's that's kind of what led me to um, the initial, just a lot of research. Um, like I said, I, I spent you know so many commutes back and forth <laughs> listening to episodes of your podcast, other podcasts, oh, reading yeah. blogs, other things, right. to just get a sense of like, what are we up against and how right. do these stories go? Because I I didn't know much of anything, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and that was just like the first step, which was which was really helpful, just to to get a sense of what are the different types of diagnoses that might be out there. What are the right. different types of treatments? How do those work? What are the different ways this can go? Um, and it was definitely intimidating because you know you you learn very quickly that the one of the hardest things is that there is no guarantee in yeah. um, in reproductive treatment. Absolutely. Um, it's always a, always a, you know, just down to what you're fortunate enough to get and so many different factors. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was hard, but it, it did feel at least like we finally had something that we felt could lead us to success. Um, okay. So what were you looking at specifically that you had learned that you were going to like arm yourself with, or, you know, that was going to kind of change the path that you guys were on? Yeah, I think you know, it was it was just understanding that um, that that doing the IVF process was going to help us eliminate a lot of the uncertainty that we just didn't know about, and and would at least provide some degree of being able to get some control back because it was it was just so much so much uncertainty, and so definitely it kind of went in clear eyed with this idea like this is not a silver bullet. It's not necessarily going to lead us to success, but it feels a lot better than what we've been doing. Uh, which has, which has totally not been, um, successful. And, and definitely at that point, we're hitting that kind of burnout of like, we, we can't just keep trying these things. We're not sure are going to work. We need right. to take whatever's going to give us the best shot at success. And of course we were, we were fortunate, right? Like I'm fortunate to have great insurance coverage. Um, That's New York good. state recently had passed, uh, their mandate for large employers to cover three rounds of IVF. So, okay. Uh, so that was your coverage through work. You had three rounds. Yep. Those covers to work. Awesome. So very fortunate to have that in place. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it felt, you know, it, it just felt like finally, perhaps this could be something that could uh, give us a lot better shot than, right. than what we had before. So how were you and Olivia doing as a couple going through this so far? Like you haven't, you know, it's it's been a struggle. I know there's a lot more to come, but like, were you guys kind of on the same page? Was there any, you know, what was going on with your relationship? Yeah, it definitely, it, we were very much on the same page. And I think because we were very conscientious about just communicating as much as possible and, and making time to check in about how we were feeling and, and just thinking through, you know, how might this go? What are the different options looking at? You know, we'd, we'd come home each day and say, hey, I listened to, you know, I read this thing today about mm-hmm. um, IUIs, or I heard this story on this podcast today. And mm-hmm it gave us a chance to to kind of talk through and just be more comfortable sharing how we were feeling and talking very frequently about mm-hmm. all the all the feelings that were coming up um, right. and about the different options and what we felt about them because that's such a crucial conversation to have 
with with your partner yeah. in this process is you know where are our boundaries uh, what are right. we what are we open to what are we not open to is there anything that's off the table for us or are there things that maybe we could be open to but we need to do some processing just over over time to figure out whether that's an option for us because i think that's that's a very real thing too you know later on in our journey we you know got to a point where we were looking at adoption fostering other types of family building options mm-hmm. and that that ended up being a really positive step but i think that sort of showed that there might be things that you think you're not open to or that you know your your journey pushes you to think differently about over time so yeah and i think it's important just, to have those conversations throughout you know kind of stepping back yeah. at different points in you know your story because you might change, you know, the bar might change or, you know, you might hear about something that, oh, I didn't know about that. I would try this or, you know, so it's great to have that initial conversation and then do kind of little check-ins, I think, as you, as you move through it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the other thing that really helped us during this time is it helped give us a little bit of preview time before we were in like the thick of IVF mm-hmm. to start to get a sense of how do we support each other? Uh, where are our own where do we kind of go when we're both feeling down about the process and what do we need from each other during those times? Because, uh, Lord knows there was some shitty times ahead. So, right. Okay. (laughs) Um, So tell me what happened next. Yeah. So started IVF. I want to hear about the shitty times, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) The shitty times. They will come. Okay. (laughs) The the Lay it on me. Um, so hopped into IVF first cycle, um, was, you know, pretty good. We, uh, I think ended up with four embryos at the end of it, um, did a fresh transfer in October of 2018 and, um, you know, entered what I lovingly call beta hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're thrilled. We found out on, um, on Halloween night, actually, we got the call from our fertility clinic that Olivia was pregnant and, you know, it, it was this like celebratory moment that I look back now and, and seems so, so kind of sad and premature knowing now what was going to happen. But how do you know that? You know, you don't know. Oh, you don't. Yeah. Yeah. You just never know. Um, But it's funny. I look back on that Halloween night and, and, you know, kids coming up, we, we have like a big Halloween village that we live in. And so kids were coming up and we were just like, oh, this is great. Next year we're going to have our own kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But then of course, a couple of days later went back for the second beta um, draw and that number was not doubling. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of entered into a few weeks where, HCG would go up a little bit, stagnate, go up a little bit, um, and and was really hard because, uh, of course, the the clinic at that point was essentially like, it's going up, that's good, but it's not going up fast enough. Uh, yeah. And so there's there's really the only way we're going to tell is by waiting until we can confirm on ultrasound. Um, and even then, the the you know ultrasound we, we end up having to go through a few of those too because the the first few were sort of inconclusive. It'd be like, oh, okay, there's a little bit of something growing there. We're not sure what it is, and so it was this really difficult, like probably six week period. It felt like about sixteen years, but um, yeah, beta <laughs> hell is a great best. way to describe it. I know so many people listening have been through that, where yeah, you know, you get that bit of hope, but you're like terrified for the next test and you know sometimes it goes up and some you know they're just like hold on you know there's nothing really you can do and you're literally in this limbo which is so stressful it it is and you know we we kind of finally um found out like a resolution to that cycle which which did end in a a miscarriage it was a blighted ovum which essentially meant that there was not not development yeah Um, i had one of those as well yeah 
Yeah, not fun. Um, and and definitely the hardest part was just that up and down. You know, the whole process of, of fertility treatment is like one up and down after another. But mm-hmm. to have that intensive period where it was like the HCG would would almost double and then it's like, okay, here's hope again. Hope's back. Uh, and then right. the next time it'd be like, uh, it didn't quite go up as much as we thought. And uh, yeah, that was that was definitely... Uh, one of those shitty times. Uh, mm-hmm. And probably the worst thing about that one was I um, was on a work trip. Um, I, I had to like get in the car and go on a work trip right after our final ultrasound mm-hmm. um, that was sort of didn't have conclusive uh, results yet. We were waiting on a, on a call from the RE to, to kind of find out what their take was on the, that last ultrasound. And so found that out as I was uh, like getting to a hotel on Long Island about three and a half hours from home. Um, Mm -hmm. and then had to have the, you know, the, not only the terrible conversation with the person I was traveling with, of like, my wife is having a miscarriage right now, so I'm going to need to go home tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) But also just the the worst part of it, which was just being apart from Olivia, you know, in in that moment, um, you know, I I just remember sitting on our hotel bed on the phone with her. We're both crying. She's like sitting, laying on, on the floor in our living room crying. Um, and that just being the worst part of being separated during such a horrible time. So, yeah, so that was, that was, um, definitely the entering into, into the shittier times of things. So Mm -hmm. that kind of resolved itself. Um, we, we had, you know, as, as everybody who's been there knows, there's kind of just like, a period of waiting after uh, a loss um, right. for, for hormone levels to come back to zero. And yeah. So we always so, call that waiting to be unpregnant, which is like yeah. the worst, you know, you need that level to go back down and it's like the worst. Oh, the, totally the worst. And this was during the holiday season and uh, a couple of friends announced their pregnancies. And so that was mm-hmm. not a fun time either. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we landed after the new year and um, we fortunately had a couple of embryos on ice. So we were like, let's, you know, get back on the horse, uh, mm-hmm. as, as so many people have heard after, you know, one loss, uh, you know, that we heard a lot of this thing happens. Uh, it's, it's unfortunate. It's really sad, uh, but that these things happen. So yeah. we're like, okay, let's regroup. Uh, hopefully that was just a fluke and we'll go back for, um, for an FET, um, in, in around February of the following year. So did that. And this, this, after the second FET, got pregnant again. Uh, mm-hmm. Really fortunate for that. And everything was looking great for the first 12 weeks. Uh, we, okay. we graduated from the IVF clinic, saw a heartbeat, saw a little, you know, gummy bear shaped, uh, you know, fetus kind of bouncing around and okay. we're feeling good. Uh, and then definitely had the worst experience of all, which was mm-hmm. going for our 12-week ultrasound at the OBGYN. Uh, and and had the the dreaded and truly awful. There's no heartbeat conversation. Um, that is truly so, awful. I'm so sorry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it, and, and that was definitely without a doubt uh, the lowest point um, in the journey because uh, you know we just had. It was kind of a weird. Obviously, it was a weird day and an awful day, but it was our first appointment, you know, kind of back in the general pregnant population, back with the you know the regular OBGYN. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The, Ultrasound tech, um, unfortunately, was was really not particularly um, compassionate or or caring about it, and uh-huh. so uh, yeah, it was it was really awful to just hear that, um, and and then of course even just the logistics after that. If I remember sitting and, and talking with the doctor and being like, when can we have a D- when can Olivia get in for a DNC? Like we don't we're not going to wait around for <laughs> four or five days or whatever it right. is, just knowing like. 
yeah. our baby passed away inside her and there's, yeah. there's nothing you can do about it. So fortunately they were able to, to get Olivia in for a DNC that night. But yeah, that, that was certainly mm, the lowest so point sorry. of the yeah. entire, um, the, the shitty parts of the journey. And, you know, from there was, was when I think we pressed pause for a couple of months. Uh-huh. Um, Understandably. Yeah. And um, really took some time to both just kind of grieve and, and, and be there for each other. And of course, you know, it, it kind of looked different for, for both of us during that time. You know, there were, there were days when one of us would kind of feel like, okay, it feels like we're emerging somewhat back toward being able to, to find joy in, in anything. Um, and, and then, you know, the next day it would be like, no, not, not doing it. Not there yet. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Not there yet. So yeah, uh, it, is. it was definitely like time for a pause, is- right? as everybody knows, you know, grief is not linear and you kind of never know when it's going to hit you and affect you and all that stuff. So going through that trauma and that grief, it's like, you just kind of got to go hour by hour sometimes, because you never know how you're going to feel or what might trigger you, or, you know, your partner might be feeling one way and you're feeling another way. It's, it's really, really complicated and tricky. My heart goes out to anybody going through that right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, so, so that, pushed us definitely to, to do what was right. I, I think at the time, which was just to kind of press pause and say, again, you know, there's, there's the waiting to be unpregnant part of, of things, but there's also just, we've been, we've been, you know, riding this horse nonstop for almost a year at this point. Yeah. Um, we've, we've just had two miscarriages back to back. We've put off travel. We've put off mm-hmm. <laughs> so many things. Um, and we're just not, not mentally ready to kind of jump back in because the other thing we kind of realized at that point was we're going to need to go back for another retrieval uh, and we're going to need to do genetic testing because we, we did have the remains tested of the second pregnancy and it was a trisomy. So we knew that there was, um, some genetic issues there that weren't compatible with life. So that was okay. helpful to know, but but definitely sent us toward a path of, okay, we need to, right. uh, we need to do genetic testing going so forward. So did you have because... one embryo left from that first round? Yeah. So we had one embryo left from okay. that first so what round. Do you, what do you do that with, with that, with that embryo? So that embryo, we also thought out and tested after the next IVF round. So had, had went back for another retrieval after a few months okay. um, of that break. And I, I think we had three, I want to say three viable embryos from mm-hmm. second round of IVF. So okay. we sent all of those out for genetic testing and sent the other one that had been previously frozen out for genetic testing. Gotcha. Um, so, so that kind of led to an interesting situation where that embryo was frozen and thawed twice. Okay. Um, yep. But spoiler alert, uh, that double, double thawed embryo is, uh, currently, um, 31 and a half weeks gestation in my oh wife. My so it's okay. very, <laughs> very cool and kind of a crazy. That's amazing. But we'll get yeah. to that. Cause that's we'll, we'll get baby to that. too, right? Yeah. That's, that's okay. the non-shitty part of the story. Wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, God, so, science is um, so incredible. <laughs> It's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. It's, it's mind blowing. So yeah. So, uh, went back for, for that round, sent out the embryos for genetic testing and found out that we had two genetically normal embryos, one of which was the one from our first round and one of which was from the second round. Uh, and so, you know, while our RE kind of counseled us on, you know, double, double frozen embryos, double thawed embryos have just like a slightly lowered implantation rate, but again, science is amazing and, and these embryos can totally work out. Um, but said, let's keep that one. Let's keep the, let's use the embryo from this most recent round. That's only been thought once or that will only be thought once and mm-hmm. let's do an FET. So 
went back, uh, had that FET, and and that was the FET that led to our wonderful daughter, Eliza, who was born in July of 2020. Wow. Um, okay. So this is the third transfer. Third transfer. Yeah. Okay. And how was that? Tell me about getting the call that you guys were pregnant again. And, you know, that pregnancy, you know, we talk often, as you know, as a listener, you know, about pregnancy after loss is really yeah. anxiety ridden. So how, how was that for you guys? Oh, totally, totally anxiety ridden. Right. We, we, um, it was such a stark contrast to that first call. I kind of described a few minutes ago of getting that, that very first year pregnant call on Halloween night. And, and we were just like celebrating, like whooping, dancing in our kitchen and mm-hmm. compared to this third one, um, where we got the call and we were like, okay, you know, this is, this is good. This is good, but you know, what's going to happen in two days when we go back for the beta. And then what's going to happen when we go in a, in a couple of weeks to, for, for an ultrasound, if 100%. we get that far. And Always that waiting was, for the other shoe to drop, right? Totally. And, and yeah. even, even still to this day, that part just never leaves you. And so, yeah, it was, it was always, you know, if we get to the next ultrasound, it was very mm-hmm. hard to trust at all that things were going to work. And, and mm-hmm. even after, um, you know, getting through kind of the 12 week ultrasound with, uh, with that pregnancy, you know, there, there was still anxiety and, and really up until like she, Eliza was like born and in our hands, I I wouldn't say I totally ever felt 100%, you know, like calm and chill that this is is all good. I Um, so get that. Did you, were you guys able to do like baby shower and that kind of thing? I know so many people like don't even purchase anything, you know, after loss, yeah. pregnancy after loss, it's just too nerve wracking or you feel superstitious about it. What was your take? So we, we were going to do a baby shower, but we got a uh, good old COVID came and. Oh uh, yeah. I remember COVID. Uh, yeah. COVID still around the, kind the of, right? that happened, but there was definitely, uh, there was definitely discussions around the baby shower and, and like our degree of comfort doing it. And like, how long would we wait? You know, the idea of doing a baby shower, too early was something that was definitely kind of a trigger for us. We're like, no, we gotta, we gotta get to a point where we feel comfortable enough to do this. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, you know, even if COVID hadn't happened, I think there absolutely still would have been anxiety around like, are we, you know, putting a jinx on ourselves by having, having hope around this. Um, so can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even just like the, you know, setting up Eliza's room before she was born, there, there were certain things that uh, were really, hard and that we just needed, needed time. And there would be, you know, definitely points where we were just like, nope, not ready to set that thing up yet or not. Like what in particular? You know, one thing, uh, Olivia made a really nice embroidered, um, kind of pattern with, it's like a field of flowers and and I think like a rainbow and the last piece of that embroidery, which we're going to hang in Eliza's room was putting her name on it. And that was something I, I don't think I let Olivia <laughs> embroider her name on it until mm. possibly after she was born. Yeah, uh, I get because it. Because that felt like uh, that felt like a little bit of a step too far for me. And, and yeah, that was on me, right? Olivia was ready to to, to go ahead and, and embroider Eliza's name on it. But I was like, mm, I'm just not not quite ready for that. That feels like a little too, <laughs> too much of a step for me. Yeah, uh, that makes so um, much sense. Okay, yeah, so... Yeah, definitely the, the whole... Um, pregnancy was was difficult and we were one thing we were very thankful for is uh, you know Eliza was a very active baby uh in the womb she was you know kicking and and grooving and doing her moonwalks um all the time so that was really helpful but even then you know we were at the point where we're in COVID Olivia and I were both working from home um and there would definitely be days where I was like you know if I hadn't heard in two hours something from Olivia about like oh 
baby's moving, uh, I would like come downstairs and be like, okay, can you, can you lay down on the couch for a few minutes and like have some orange juice and see if she'll wriggle right. a little bit. Did you guys do like a home Doppler or anything like that? We didn't, we, you know, we've gone back and forth on that. Uh, yeah. I thought I would, I would potentially be like a little bit too obsessive if we yeah. had that option, <laughs> but absolutely have thought about it, uh, 645 times. Right. Uh, so, yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Eliza is here. How old is she now? Uh, she turned two in July. Aww. Um, yeah. So. All right. Well, tell us about the second embryo that's been thawed twice. Yeah. And so then second embryo, you know, we, um, how long before was- you guys jumped back in? So we, um, we gave it about a year uh, until Eliza was about a year old until we just kind of reached back out to the fertility clinic and said, let's kind of talk about our options, see where we are, because we were kind of thinking at that time, you know, do we need to go back and potentially do another egg retrieval to bank more embryos? Um, because we know that based on our track record, like the most we've ever gotten out of a cycle that's a genetically normal viable embryo is one. Mm-hmm. So we're like going for one on every cycle. So we're like, if if we we only have this one, should we try to get another before we go back for an embryo transfer? And our RE was was like, you know, I think it's best to give this one a shot. Um, we know that you are in a really fortunate position of you've gotten pregnant every time uh, you've had a transfer, which is not typically the case. So you're very fortunate in that sense let's give this one a shot. And then, you know, if heaven forbid, it doesn't work, like we're only a couple, couple months down the line, it's, it's still going to be okay. We can still work toward another transfer. And so that was really helpful for us to hear because I think we were, we were definitely living in that anxiety of like, we've got a, we only have this one, um, like this, this could be our last shot. And so, yeah, we, we weren't really sure, like, should we, we definitely came into it thinking we better do another retrieval just to kind of hopefully get some insurance in the bank of like maybe one more good embryo. Totally. Uh, and how old were you guys at the time? At that time, Olivia was 35 and mm-hmm. I was 33, I want to say. Okay. So yeah, we, um, we decided based on that advice from the RE that we would go ahead, do another FET and give, give this embryo that's been thawed twice and biopsy to give it a shot and uh transferred that embryo in in february of 2022 and we're now now eight months pregnant and expecting another little girl in uh, october so i love uh, it yeah just such a cool story so tell me how how did that feel with the second time you know again the anxiety and all the things like was it different on this pregnancy or was it still like holy shit oh it was it was definitely still there you know the 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 biggest like qualitative difference in this pregnancy is just chasing around a toddler which uh mm. not to i mean i you know understand so this is like I would have been so annoyed listening to somebody being like, chase around a toddler. I want to chase around a toddler, but like I would give a million dollars to chase around a toddler. Right. But, but that was very different, right? It was, there's was different demands on our time. And so the good thing of that is like, it has made time go by more quickly, but is the anxiety still there? Like, absolutely. There is mm-hmm. still, uh, you know, we had a couple of weeks ago, we were on the phone with the OB because Olivia felt like the baby was just not moving as much as normal. Everything was fine, but I, I think we're much more, attuned with things like that and just and, and yeah just like it definitely still live in that anxiety and and still feel in the same way as I did with Eliza like we will fully breathe out and and relax uh when when this baby is born and in our arms um, mm-hmm. even though there's there's of course like no reason to to 
in theory be concerned. Like everything is utterly normal, um, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't leave you. Right. Right. But we talk about sometimes how, how funny it is or like strange, I guess, when you're not the kind of person who got pregnant very easily and just not even having any anxiety through your pregnancy. It's just like, here we go. This is it. You know, like yeah. give me all the ice cream, you know, like all that stuff, like, <laughs> like the people that aren't worried and shitting their pants every time they don't, they're not feeling the baby move or oh, I know. You know all that stuff. So it's just such a different experience. And I, I have to say like with my pregnancies, you know, I did get pregnant with my daughter naturally with no issue. So I kind of had that for my first pregnancy. And then the second one was so different. So I kind of know both worlds of it and God, I, I had no idea how lucky I had at that first go round, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely been easier in some ways uh, this round of just like having, having been through one healthy pregnancy is a big proof point that, that definitely gives some level of comfort, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Like I, I, it's still mind boggling to me to see somebody like posting a pregnancy announcement and it's got like the kid's full name on it. And they're just like, right. You know, talking or like about the, those crazy stories when people don't know they're pregnant and they go in with like indigestion oh. and they have a baby. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, totally. Well, anyway, so tell us, okay. When did you start thinking about writing the IVF dad, your book? Yeah, it was it was um, around last year, like last summer, summer of 2021. Um, and I just had started to do a little bit of writing just about our story. Um, and I think started it with the idea of like, oh, maybe I'll submit this to like Modern Love and the New York Times or something and quickly just kept writing and kept writing and, and hit mm-hmm. probably a couple months later. And I was like, holy shit, this is I think this is becoming a book maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but but definitely started it, I think, just as a, an opportunity to kind of like process what we'd been through. But but it quickly kind of just blew up into something where not only did it feel really good to write out and process everything we'd been through, but it felt like this could maybe help some people out there too. I mean, I definitely, in reflecting on our journey, um, while it was amazing to have so many podcasts, blogs, et cetera, that I could draw upon to, to learn about the process and feel more comfortable with it, most of those were were written, recorded, et cetera, produced by and for women, which is 100% okay, right? Like that's that's mm-hmm. that's totally justified. Not right, to take but you're like, where are my guys that. at? But yeah, it was so, it was such a weird, unique, like I can remember the one or two times hearing, uh, you know, men come to share their story. And it was just helpful for me to to hear that perspective. And so I, I I think writing made me realize, you know, maybe there's something here that could be helpful for men and couples, because certainly in, in the process of opening up more about our journey, which we did in kind of various ways throughout, um, had just learned from how many family, friends, other people we knew who had been through infertility were going through it at the same time as we were. And we had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was great yeah. to, yeah, to, to connect about it, but then also to kind of realize I, it was so great when I kind of, so great, so great to have people who are in the shit with you. Um, but great yeah. to know that there were some people who I could connect to and, and other guys I knew who we could just kind of text and knew what we were talking about and, and understood, um, what it was like to, to be going through infertility. Right. Um, yeah. And so as I kept writing, I was like, this could be, this could be something that could be really helpful and, and definitely just said, you know, the, the ultimate goal here and the ultimate thing that will make this all worth it is literally just finding one person who this is helpful for. And and that's all I want to do because it's it's a way to just turn all this, all the shitty times into something that can be 
hopefully meaningful for somebody yeah. else. Was there anything difficult in writing the book that like to relive or that you just felt was like too much to get back into? Um, Cause I know when I started writing about what I had gone through with my stuff, it, I had to wait. I couldn't do it for like two years. I couldn't even touch it. Mm-hmm. Like it was just too raw, too hard. I was like, I can't go back there. Like it was just too much for me. So how was it with you? Yeah, same. Definitely relate to that. You know, the, the one of the last chapters I wrote was the chapter about our losses and just mm-hmm. how we kind of navigated that because uh, it did feel too hard to get into. Um, mm-hmm. And and I wrote those. I wrote that chapter. I think right before our most recent transfer, um, because I think I kind of felt at that point, like I've got to get this out before we're in that, that space of potentially, you know, being pregnant again, or, or in the two week wait. Cause I, I don't know that I'm going to be able to write about this at that point. Like it may feel like too much if we do get pregnant again, because I'm not going to want to bring back those old feelings and experiences. So right. that kind of that pushed me into it. And it was actually in some ways, like the best thing to write out, although it was hard. And definitely there were, there were times writing that chapter where I'd be like, you know, I'd be crying writing it. I'd be showing more of it. Cause I, I would kind of show all this writing to Olivia as I was doing it. And, right. you know, we'd, we'd both be crying looking back on these experiences, but I think it was good and, and good actually being in that space where we were getting ready to go back for another transfer because it, it I felt like it really helped me tap more into what was I really feeling during these times and, and mm-hmm. the rawness of it to try to be really honest about how difficult it was. Um, I think in some ways, you know, now as I kind of think about being toward the end of our family building journey, um, although certainly not like at the end of infertility, I think it's something that's with us forever. Yeah. I I think I was, I was in a good space then to write about it in a way that's really raw and open because I could, I could still feel that and, and felt that possibility looking ahead to the next transfer of like, I don't know how this is going to turn out and I know how bad it can go. Right. Well, I have to commend you for, you know, doing something that not many people do. I also want to shout out two guys in the community. I hope you've connected with them. And if not, and people listening, pursuing fatherhood, who's Alex, I don't know if you've met him, but he's amazing. And one of the kind of more pioneering people. And then Wes at detour to dad, they're both on Instagram. They've both been fertility rally live, you know, speakers, and we've had some of our events and stuff, but people like you guys are just really, you know, changing things. And, you know, I know that guys need that support. So I just commend you for doing it. I want everybody to check out IVF dad and you are on Instagram. Is it IVF dad? Is that your handle? Yep. That's right. Um, okay. So on Instagram at IVF dad, is there anything else that you want to mention before we wrap Keegan about just being kind of a guy, you know, in this, in this field, in this industry, you know, trying to make a difference? Yeah. Well, first, definitely. I love, love those folks you mentioned. Uh, I yeah. think there's, there's a growing group of, of guys out there who are sharing their stories and connecting totally. and, and designing, you know, other folks are designing like private Facebook groups and things like that, which I think are so helpful to just have a space to share in. So I, I love that work that's happening and it is growing. But the the most important thing I think that can be hard for everybody, of course, in infertility, but, but really hard for men is just like taking that first step to open up and tell somebody what's going on mm-hmm. and telling somebody who's not your partner, right? Too, because it's important to talk to your partner. But I also feel very strongly that you need some other people who are like external to your relationship who you can share about what you're going with. And, and that can be, you have so many options, right? It can be a friend if you're comfortable with it. It could be a therapist. It could be, you know, if you're, if some, you're somebody who like faith is important to you, could be somebody in, in kind of your faith sphere. It could be 
um, a counselor. You know, there's there's so many options out there. Or you can find somebody online, like, uh, you know, go on Instagram and send a DM to the IVF dad and I'll chat with you too. But that's awesome. Um, I think the, the most important thing is just like, although it's so scary, take that first step to tell somebody what you're going through because even just that act of getting it out there in the world and saying what you're going through, even if it's just typing to somebody you've never met on Instagram, mm-hmm. will make you feel better and will make you feel less alone. And then from there, hopefully you can you can have the experience that I feel like we kind of had, which was that it got easier every time to open up and that we we found these amazing connections and and really deepened relationships with friends and family who we had had no idea had gone through this shitty path too. Yeah. Uh, but, but feel so much more connected with so many of these people who really know what it's like to be in the trenches. Um, so, so important. So, and nobody has to go through this alone, no matter what you're going yeah. through. There's somebody out there that's going through a similar situation. Even if you think your situation is very rare, or I haven't heard about this before, you know, you can connect with me always at infertile life stories. You can connect with Keegan at the, you know, we can connect you guys to people. If we know somebody, you know, like this, I feel like this community, that's why we always say it's the worst club with the best members. Mm-hmm. It's everybody is really wanting to help each other out because it sucks so much and anything we can all do yeah. to help each other is just worth it. Um, it does. And and hopefully, you know, the other thing I always try to kind of emphasize too, right, is the book is called The IVF Dad, but I really hope it's not just about IVF, it's about IUI. It talks about adoption, fostering, other family building options. And it's not just for men too. I've, I've heard from a lot of women and couples who are reading it for it, reading it together. And I, that's really how I hope it will be useful to people is to to help it feel like you can kind of build your relationship and have these difficult conversations because it's not easy. It's, you, don't, you don't get into a, a relationship and you know get married or a partnership thinking like, oh, we're going to walk through this awful path together. Although you know every everybody has their difficulties, but there are, there are ways I think to hopefully try to try to kind of strengthen your bond um, and definitely have found you know the all the difficult things we went through on our path to parenthood have only helped us as we've gone forward, right? Like the, the parenting journey is hard too, hard in different ways. And so having had a lot of really difficult conversations over the years and, and just times where we really had to support each other when we were feeling awful and, and grieving and, uh, you know, having anxiety or, or, you know, just depressed about where we were in our journey has turned into a strength that we can take with us. Thank you all so much for listening. And thanks again to Keegan. Definitely check out his book, The IVF Dad. You can also check him out on Instagram at The IVF Dad. You can also check me out on Instagram always at Infertile AF Stories. And also please check out Fertility Rally, which is open now. We open the first week of every single month. So we are open now and accepting new members. And we would love to have you join our family. We've got multiple support groups a week. We have three private Facebook groups. We have lots of events, both IRL and virtual. And it's just this amazing community. And it's the place I wish I had when I was in the thick of all the shit that I was going through. So please don't feel alone. You're not alone. Join our family, check out our family, DM us if you have any questions, and I will talk to you guys next time. Thanks.